From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Welcome to Stand Up For The Truth for June the 15th. My name is Mary Danielson. I'm your host today, and our guest is Elijah Abraham. It's always A joy to speak to Elijah because of his pastor's heart for the lost and his seemingly never-ending energy. And I know you'll be encouraged by the podcast today as we hear what the Lord is doing in other parts of the world. Sometimes we get naturally focused on our own culture and our day-to-day, but we may not be aware that the Lord is on the throne and doing incredible things all over the world. Before I introduce Elijah, I want to look at a verse or two, and then I'm going to open in prayer. It's such a privilege to be able to acknowledge the Lord together. Psalm 37, 23 to 26 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I've been young, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Oh, Lord, I just uh, pray that you'd set our eyes on eternity. Cause us to dwell on your loving kindness, which your your word says is better than life. Help us to become more like Jesus uh, every day from glory to glory. I pray you'd walk among us, heal those in need of healing, Lord. Rescue us from our day-to-day snares, Lord. Pray for Elijah, for his ministry, that it would bear much fruit. Uh, protection on him, his family, his life. Uh, we thank you for him and his testimony. Walk among us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, our guest today, Elijah Abraham. Elijah is with Living Oasis Ministries. We're going to get an update on his recent trip to Eastern Europe and the challenges that he faced there. I was uh, looking at his prayer request during the trip, and I was amazed at what the Lord was doing. Uh, He has another international trip in September. Elijah, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. It's great to catch up with you. Before we hear about your travels, tell us a little bit about Living Oasis Ministries, what they do, and what kind of resources are available at livingoasis.org. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me again. It's always great to be with you and with your audience. It's always been a blessing uh, to share what God is doing, not just here in America, but around the world. We'll visit with Elijah Abraham when we can reconnect with him. So let's share some headlines. Rick Warren is in the news again. He says that Saddleback Church disagrees with only one word in the SBC doctrine, and that word is men. You may remember that the SBC decided to cut ties with Saddleback because they continue to have a female teaching pastor functioning in the office of a pastor. So Ahead of the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting in New Orleans this week, Saddleback Church founder Rick Warren stressed that he agrees with all the denomination's beliefs, except for his stance on women pastors. He says the SBC Constitution was changed in 2015 after 170 years of Baptist cooperation. So he says now churches must be closely identified with the confession, not completely. And he says the confession is 4,032 words, and we disagree with only one word, and that's men. Isn't that close enough? So he is scheduled to appear before thousands of Southern Baptists at their annual meeting in New Orleans, Louisiana this week, and appeal that decision because of his successor, Andy Wood, who succeeded him listing his wife, Stacy as a pastor in his biography on the prominent 
California megachurches website in 2022. So that's interesting. And it also in light of the fact that Christian and Missionary Alliance approves pastor titles for women. That is from this week. The Christian Missionary Alliance, CMA, a denomination of over 2,000 churches with a statement of faith that aligns with the majority of evangelical Christianity, has voted to allow women to serve in pastoral roles. The historic vote was part of CMA's 2023 General Council in Spokane last week. Over 60% of the delegates at the General Council approved updating the CMA Statement of Faith to reflect that at the discretion of local church leadership, official workers, whether male or female, may use the title of pastor or reverend for specific ministry roles. Females may be ordained for pastoral roles, except for senior or head pastor. So this continues to be a story. Elon Musk calls out Biden's White House for targeting kids with pride agenda. He says they are not your kids. And why does he say that? Well, Joe Biden, who seems obsessed with gender dysphoric children who are confused as to their own sex, put out yet another message proclaiming that the children of America belong to the government. Elon Musk instantly took issue with that. These are our kids, Biden's video says showing images of the White House bathed in pride colors. These are our neighbors, not somebody else's kids. They're all our kids. You are the government, Musk responded. They are not your kids. Biden says our children are the kite strings that hold our national ambitions aloft. It matters a great deal how we treat everyone in this country. You are loved, you are heard, and this administration has your back. Musk says a gender-affirming care for minors is pure evil, and Biden continues to tout it, as does most of uh, the party line. In 2022, he proclaimed American parents should affirm their kids, meaning accept that the children were born in the wrong bodies and need medical intervention. And maybe following the fact that some states are claiming child abuse if the parents don't go along and affirm their children. They're writing laws with that word affirm and not saying what it actually means. Other states, the red states, are saying, no, we will simply not allow this to take place. No surgeries, no hormones. So there is a, a war across the country on this particular issue, and it's going to rage on, especially when he says that these are all our kids. Jewish chosen advisory board member praises hit show for going beyond happy, clappy Christian image. Does the chosen depict the most intensely Jewish Jesus and gospels we've ever had? That is how Phaedra Shapiro, Times of Israel columnist and founding director of the Israel Center for Jewish-Christian Relations, sees the hit show. Shapiro, who holds a Ph.D. in religious studies and is teacher and scholar on Jewish-Christian relations, wrote she, is, she mentally cringed upon hearing about The Chosen, fearing the show would turn out to be just another Christian evangelistic tool that ends up making the Jews out to be the bad guys. Despite so much of Christian-themed entertainment getting a bad rap for either low production value or just being too preachy, quote-unquote, the reputation carefully cultivated by the chosen creator Dallas Jenkins for compelling dialogue, storylines, and performances has drawn praise from both Christian and non-Christian fans alike. Many have said who have seen it, well, I can relate to this Jesus. Now I picture Jesus when I pray. Well, you got to understand which Jesus is being represented, the Jesus in the minds of those who've produced the film, those who've developed a script, those who have him say the lines in the script. We need to be awfully careful about that sort of thing. It looks like we have been able to reconnect with our guest, Elijah Abraham. Oh, I don't know what happened. <laughs> don't ever do that again. <laughs> 
you know, I was talking <laughs> to myself. News. I did not even know. Uh, no, well, you know, that's how Satan works. Sometimes he just put a, a, a wrench into God's plan. Yes, so right. I, I totally understand it. Yes. Um, okay, so, so you were talking about when when we got disconnected at the top of the podcast here. You were talking about Living Oasis Ministries. You know, after seminary, I was a mission pastor for a number of years, and then the Lord called us to start our ministry. Uh, to be independent missionaries. Uh, at first, I thought, well, it's going to be just uh, to the church in America, but the Lord has expanded our horizon, and now we're in 47 countries. Um, wow. um, our, our goal is really to equip pastors and church leaders, church planters, elders, uh, to equip their own people. And when I say equip, we basically we awaken to, and we wait, uh, equip, evangelize, and uh, develop leaders. Um, and uh, our ministry, we teach anywhere from uh, biblical foundations, uh, biblical doctrines, to uh, biblical counseling, uh, eschatology, and of course, apologetics and Muslim evangelism. Mm, wow. uh, and that has been an incredible blessing. And the wonderful thing that I have seen in some countries where they do not have access, I mean, talking about pastors that are poor enough, they don't have access to Bible college or seminary, uh, I had the privilege of witnessing them after being we together studying the the scriptures. Uh, they start sobbing, uh, asking the Lord for forgiveness. They repent and they say, "We've been teaching heresy. We did not know mm. we've been teaching heresy all these years because nobody taught us." Mm. So that's such a uh, it blesses my heart to see that yeah, with all the sleepless nights and lights and uh, delays and all of that, all the hassle that comes with travel. Uh, it, it makes it worthwhile. And uh, also I had the privilege of living Oasis Ministries is really preaching the word uh, whenever there is an opportunity, and especially overseas. I get invited anywhere from churches to uh, camps to uh, I did my first women's conference, believe it or not, in, among the Maasai mm. in the bush uh, between Kenya and Tanzania. Wow. Uh, and I, I had the privilege in witnessing God's work and uh, convicting many, many people uh, to come to know the Lord as their Lord and Savior. So wow. Wow. Um, I'm seeing what God is doing in a massive and incredible way overseas. However, in the United States, it's a little bit different story. Uh, and I think that's because the influence of uh, technology, social media, a lot of distractions here uh, that uh, keeping people away from really listening to God's voice. Well, and I think we presume because we have endless resources in this country, some good, some not so right. good, you know, Bibles and, and, and podcasts and, and YouTube and all, we have all that. We presume everyone has access to that, but they really, really don't. And how are they going to understand a lot of solid teaching unless someone goes over and teaches them? Now, Elijah, you were in, you were in Romania and Ukraine, correct? This last well, trip? Uh, well, actually, yeah. Um, thank you for asking for that because I cannot wait to give you the story, you know, the report on that. Yeah. Um, in March 8th, I left uh, to on a trip to five countries in 25 days. Um, wow. I went to, to Romania, Bulgaria, mm. Moldova, Ukraine, and Switzerland. Um, and the privilege was uh, when I landed in Romania, we uh, drove for a couple hours into Bulgaria, just across the border, and uh, taught for the weekend. A group of pastors, these are Bulgarian Turks, uh, Turkish pastors, and they still speak Turkish, and of course they speak Bulgarian, but they're Bulgarian citizens. They are kind of more or less, there's a huge population there uh, left over from the Ottoman Empire. Uh, that uh, population is still Muslims, 
but they are very uh, much uh, secular Muslims. They don't know hardly anything about Islam, you know, just Muslims by name, but they are sticking with Islam. So you got uh, all these pastors came from Muslim background and they have churches, but they don't know how to reach their own community. So it gave them uh, a short uh, uh, seminar about uh, some of the topics we teach and they just loved it they said please come back we need to invite more pastors more uh, churches so mm-hmm. that's the plan i got an invitation to go back next march wow. um preached in a couple of churches two cities drove back to romania and uh, to bucharest and in bucharest i conducted two conferences back to back three days at the seminary in bucharest uh and three days did a pastors leaders conference and so basically non-stop six days um uh, average about 10, 12 hours a day of teaching. So it was pretty exhausting, but it was amazing uh, because um, there are a lot of issues that they deal with that really nobody really wants to discuss or address. Every country I go to, there is always a challenge, theological challenge, uh, cultural challenge, and so forth, or denominational challenge. Mm. Uh, in Eastern Europe, the biggest challenge that I uh, struggle, not struggle myself, struggle, but I struggle with the pastors trying to let them see what the scripture says about the security of the believer. Uh, they bought into or believe in Arminianism, uh, which has been um, uh, influenced of Eastern Orthodox as well as Arminianism being exported from the West years and years ago. So they believe that uh, you have to maintain your salvation by your good works. Mm. Uh, so there is uh, kind of robbing God's people from the joy in the Lord that they are securing God's hands. Uh, there are multiple scriptures where the Lord assures us that, um, you know, our salvation securing him, what he's done on the cross is sufficient. What he said, it is finished. It is finished. Uh, when he said, you know, father's hand, no, nothing will pluck out of my father's hands. It's true. He did not lie to me. Uh, when he told, uh, said to the Father, you gave them to me, I lost none. He did not lie to me. When he gave us the Holy Spirit and sealed us with the Spirit, he did not lie to me. And the Spirit is a deposit. It's like an engagement ring mm-hmm. for the blessed hope coming to us. He did not lie to me. Uh, when uh, Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, was against us, he did not lie to me. Mm-hmm. So all of these things I try to explain to them. They really struggle. Uh, and that was a challenge uh, in, in most of the uh, uh, the places I went to in Eastern Europe. But, uh, you know, thank God I, I don't have to twist anybody's arm into believing <laughs> what I believe. Mm-hmm. I just say, okay, here's what the scripture says. Show me from scripture it says that you can lose your salvation. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they take one or two, maybe three verses, of course, out of context. So, so okay, I challenge them. Let's get into the word. Uh, how do you interpret that? Let's look at the, the context of that. And uh, they are shocked. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, it's what the word says. Yeah. So it's a blessing. It's a blessing to see the light comes on. And uh, in, in those, uh, you know, even the seminary students, some of the students, they come to me during the break. They said, uh, we always have suspicion of that. And we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. But over here, we can, really cannot talk about it. Yeah. So they thank me because I'm an outsider and I can talk about it. Yeah. Uh, so it's a blessing to see that. Um, there is a huge, huge need for biblical counseling. They have issues with depression. They have issues mm-hmm. with suicide. They have issues with unforgiveness and 
uh, critical spirits and all of that. So uh, that one, uh, we took one day, we talked about these things and they said, please come back next time. Uh, we want to have a whole conference on that. Mm. Uh, eschatology, nobody talks about it. Yeah. My goodness, nobody talks about it here in America too. Right. Uh, you know, very few churches do. Uh, I got to hand it to Calvary Chapel uh, churches. They are very much into eschatology and the prophecies and so forth. But overseas, they they really don't know anything about that. Uh, they know they don't see Jesus, but they don't know the events. They don't know uh, the chronolog chronological events according to the scripture. They don't know what they're going to do in heaven. Uh, they don't know what kind of body they're going to have. They don't know who they're going to see. They're going to know who they're going to fellowship with. I mean, all of that is in scripture. So the, the beautiful thing that, uh, you know, when I show them from scripture, you should see just the relief in their face. They should see the joy that they have. They should see the confidence that they have. Hmm. And that's why I think the problem with a lot of many Christians, whether it be here in America or overseas, the reason they struggle today and they allow the current events and the news influence their mood or their this, uh, their attitude or the, how they live their life because they do not have eschatological point of view. They are not looking forward to the blessed hope and what is going to happen. Uh, you know, the end has already been told to us. Mm -hmm. So when you don't, ha they don't know and you're not living in the light of Jesus coming, of course, you're going to struggle day to day. Of course, you're going to be depressed. Of course, you're going to uh, have a bad attitude. <laughs> not just towards your family members, but to anybody, because you have all you hear is negative, negative, negative yeah. uh, from the news and the culture and so forth. So, um, and after that, so we went to uh, Moldova, uh, taught at a, a Christian university and the Christian university there, I've taught there multiple times. And usually the, the students there are from Central Asia. That's the Sun region, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Turkmenistan, and um, these are most of them Muslim countries. And the blessing is that they are taking this teaching and going back to their countries and teaching it. And they have contacts, and um, we're praying for the Lord to open the opportunity for me to travel to these uh, countries. So that's something down the line, possibly uh, to travel there. Uh, also, I had the privilege of teaching uh, at a small camp, um, uh, probably about 25, 30 troubled teenagers, high schoolers, and they came from really rough background. But just teaching the word and seeing how God, God's spirit used his word and to minister to these people, mm -hmm. uh, young men and women, uh, was such a blessing. And they were mm. encouraged. Uh, we got two uh, young ladies got saved. Uh, so it was, it was really amazing uh, time and opportunity. Mm. And while I was in Moldova, we drove to Romania, I'm sorry, to Ukraine. Um, and uh, our ministry, we never done a humanitarian uh, work at all, all these years until March of last year, when the war started in Ukraine and uh, the pastors that I trained and we did Zoom teaching during COVID, they said they canceled the Zoom uh, teaching. They said, we have up to our eyeballs with all the refugees, thousands and thousands coming and they are very poor. And they said, we don't know what, what to do and how to help them. So uh, we prayed, my wife and I prayed, I said, okay, Lord, uh, what can we do to help them? And so we started raising money. Uh, and since March of last year, we raised over $31,000. And, and that uh, fund uh, helped sustain over 4,000 uh, 
refugees. When I say refugees, mainly women and children. Mm -hmm. We also sent two groups last summer uh, of uh, kids to summer camp. And uh, through that, we've seen uh, kids and uh, youth get saved because of that opportunity. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, yeah, uh, so, uh, so when I went there, I took the last of the funds that we raised and we uh, took a van full of um, uh, food, supplies, toys, Bibles, uh, tracks, and we drove to Ukraine and met uh, with a lot of refugees, loved on them, shared the gospel, but also met with the Ukrainian pastors and leaders and um, listened to them how they dealing with the crisis. Here's the good news that we don't hear. Uh, all we hear about, oh, the bombing and this and that, which is true, and the refugees, which is true. But the good news that we don't hear that the, in Ukraine, they are ex the church is experiencing thousands and thousands of Ukrainians come to know Christ. Wow. The challenge is half of the pastors left. So not many people ministering to these brand new baby Christians. Right. And those who stayed behind, they are very much overwhelmed. So we realize uh, our ministry uh, will be busy in Ukraine for the years to come to help develop new believers and new uh, new leadership. Yeah, no doubt. Elijah, I have a question for you and I, I, about about that. I know that Ukraine has a political climate that it's so complicated and a lot of corrupt. us in the West don't understand it. It's totally corrupt. What about Romania, Bulgaria, Moldova? What's the political climate there? Do you have any trouble getting in, uh, getting through? Are they are they oppressed politically? How, how are things no, there? No, actually... Uh, my movement was very much free. I had no problem going, even going to Ukraine. <laughs> they better like us. We've been sending billions of dollars to them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, right. Uh, no, um, no, I had no, no trouble going into any of these countries. Um, of course, the makeup, because they're so close to Ukraine, um, they are nervous. Um, not necessarily Bulgaria, but from, uh, Moldova and um, Romania, because they share borders with Ukraine, uh, not Bulgaria. Bulgaria, south of uh, Romania. Um, but uh, there is a struggle going on in Moldova. Um, there is a pro-Russian, there is pro-European uh, uh, Union uh, political groups, and they kind of more or less struggle for power. Uh, so, and R Moldova, is the, even though it's in Europe, is the poorest country in Europe. They want to be part of European Union, but they don't have the infrastructure or the the ability at this time to be included in there. Um, Romania is not part of the European Union, but they are part of NATO. Okay. So they have some they have some protection mm -hmm. from NATO. So that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but also within that, there is a political struggle, and of course, corruption. No matter what, which country you go to, there is corruption. Um, oh. So that's that's what's been happening. However, I got to hand it to the church and these countries. Uh, who share borders with Ukraine, they have uh, done magnificent job uh, in taking care of the refugees. Uh, the, a lot of the refugees did not want to stay there. They basically used Romania, Mo Moldova, and Poland as a stepping stone to go to Western Europe or North America or somewhere else around the world. Sure. But there are those who stayed, and, uh, and the church is really stepping up to help these uh, refugees. Now, let me bring you up to date what's going on. I'm sure you've seen and heard on television or in the news uh, online that uh, there is a dam in Ukraine that was attacked and broke, and it's awful, that has flooded many, many villages and towns, uh, a lot of homes underwater, 
Uh, many people got killed, many injured, but thousands of refugees uh, created thousands more refugees. Wow. Uh, our pastors and missionary uh, ministry partners in Moldova and Romania have been very busy uh, doing a rescue operation. They get in with their little boats and uh, and trying to rescue people out of these flooded areas uh, and uh, giving them food shelter, all of that. So right now we are kind of trying to help them. We're trying to raise $20,000 uh, for that effort. Uh, and I just started this campaign of fundraising. So if anybody wants to help in that uh, event, go to our website, livingoasis.org. And when you click on support us in the box, the comment box, after you do all the paper, the answer all the questions, just put Ukraine fund or Ukrainian refugees. And 100% of that funds goes to that effort. Uh, and, and we have seen it not just in Ukraine, but we've seen it in Middle East and other places. When people go through such trauma, whether it be war, terrorism, uh, flooding, whatever, uh, people are really tender and they are willing to hear the, the gospel message. And we have seen many, many come to know Christ. What? So that's how we try to reach them. Yeah. With the love of Christ. What's what's the infrastructure like in Ukraine? I if if um you've seen it firsthand, um people are out of their homes. I mean, is the country quite devastated or or is there still No. no? It's uh what we went uh, we went to the northwest. It's kind of tucked between uh Moldova and Poland uh, area. Okay. That has not been t- uh touched by the bombs and it's still like a typical city. Wow. Uh, you know, buses, for, you know, cafes and restaurants and all of that. But it has been uh, impacted by uh, within the country migration or refugees. Uh, the war is mainly the east and southeast, eastern regions uh, of Ukraine. And that's where you see all the buildings and bridges and everything else is just devastation. It's, it's amazing. Uh, no power. Uh, but where we were at, uh, we were trying to get to the refugees. Uh, and help them um, in the Northwest. Uh, that doesn't mean I could not have gone to the East. Actually, my ministry partner, they said, no, we're not gonna go to uh, where we usually go because you're an American, you'll bring a high price. So basically they're protecting my life. Uh, so they said, no, we're gonna go to the Northwest uh, to, to where the refugees are. So it, it, the infrastructure, they're just, just like any country, you know, they're pretty modern and so forth, but uh, with the with the war, it can take any modern country back to the Stone Ages in no time. Right. And I don't think anyone expected this to go on as long. They were saying when it started, you know, six weeks or at the most. And now here they're just mired in this. Are the, are the people, um, how do they feel about that? I mean, besides the obvious, are they, are they hopeful? I'm, I suppose they are with what you bring to them. But otherwise, what's the general mood? I would think people would be dragged down considerably. Yeah, they're kind of a little bit hopeless. I mean, it's like, okay, they don't see an end to this. But from an outsider, you got to look at it from a geopolitical and global point of view and look at it as a theater. Um, I, again, many people disagree with me on that. And again, it's in my opinion, my assessment, uh, just from what I read and what I, what I hear. Um, I believe that uh, the NATO is trying to pick a fight with uh, not just any fight, but a nuclear confrontation with Russia. So the only way that to continue doing that is prolonging a war, a proxy war, which isn't right now in Ukraine, uh, given hundreds of millions of dollars, if not in this case, billions of billions of dollars, uh, that is, has not helped the Ukraine at all. It's just continued to kill more people and produce more 
uh, refugees and uh, only the elite are stealing your tax money and my tax money uh, and getting rich, whether it be uh, the Ukrainian elite or the American elite. Of course, the American elite using Ukraine as a uh, money laundering operation. Now, people say, oh, this is conspiracy theory. No, it's been proven. Uh, you just do some research. Right. Um, so it's sad that uh, we see uh, the West prolonging such war at the expense of humanity and people dying uh, really for there is no there is no reason for them to die and go through the suffering. Oh. But that's the human nature and evil. And God sometimes uses these kind of events, just like what happened with ISIS yeah. in the Middle East where satan took off the mask and was doing ugly horrendous things yeah. but that allowed well, yeah people to that's fascinating I, I love to get the the eyewitness view we're going to take a break here this is mary danielson i'm talking with elijah abraham livingoasis.org we're going to talk about islam terrorism persecution uh what what's going on elsewhere the trans agenda so be back with you in two Stand Up For The Truth is on Facebook and Twitter. Like and follow us at Stand Up WI. And share today's show via the links at the StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Welcome back for the second half of the podcast. We have Elijah Abraham today with us, livingoasis.org. Um, we just heard great testimony of his trip over to Eastern Europe and the challenges that uh, he faced and that they faced over there. We need to pray for our brethren over there. It's an entirely different world, different dangers, different difficulties. Uh, so we need to keep them in our prayer. Uh, let's talk a little bit about demographics and the rise of Islam around the world. And I don't think we've discussed this in a while. But with immigration here and in Europe, Asia, you mentioned uh, South America during the break, um, the the exponential growth uh, really mirrors the rate at which Islam is growing worldwide. Islam is the fastest growing religion globally, 1.84% growth rate, and an expected population translates to 2.9 billion in 2050. And uh, Elijah, I've always maintained that Islam is a political group with a religious cover. Uh, what do you think about that? And let's just talk about uh, immigration and, and the ways that it's changing the face of the whole world. You're absolutely right about the definition of Islam. Islam is not a religion. It's a socio-political system that uses a deity, Allah, to advance mm. its agenda. And its, its agenda is global domination. That's just part of their uh, teaching of Muhammad. Uh, that Muhammad uh, taught that uh, this planet, planet Earth, is a Muslim planet, belongs to Allah, and you have all the non-Muslims who are infidels, um, need to either accept Islam or be exterminated. So that's been the plan for 1400 years. Mm -hmm. um, and the West uh, either ignore that, they know it, but they ignore that for a certain uh, purpose, or uh, they just uh, too stupid really to really hear the truth and to their detriment. Um, of course, uh, to a certain point, I don't believe that that's stupid because you have to look at the West. Uh, who's controlling the West? Actually, in this case, <laughs> who controlled the whole world mm -hmm. at this time. Uh, and that's the elite, the deep state, uh, the secret societies. They're no longer secret. You got the uh, CFR, uh, Council of Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission and Bilderberg, uh, and the World Banks and all of that. And if now it's now you got the World Economic Forum. Uh, so, uh, and these... Uh, one, two, three families, the Rothschilds is one of them. 
So you got only few control the whole planet. And there is a reason for that. Um, what they are trying to do, uh, now we start seeing some of their evil intent, but that evil intent has been going on for a long time. But they needed a boogeyman to distract humanity or the world population from what they are doing. And the boogeyman have been and always been and to this day uh, is Islam and Muslims. Um, and so what they've done uh, through these proxy wars that they had in the Middle East and other places, uh, created a millions and millions of refugees that uh, migrated into Europe in this case to start with. And I think Europe was the first experiment to see how Islam will expand. And uh, through the political correctness and uh, what they have achieved, um, that, um, am I still on on the news? Are you still with me? Yes, yep. I, I okay, can, yep, I just I want to make sure you guys yeah. went quiet <laughs> because I'm talking. Um, uh, and as a result, uh, because they control the news, they control uh, you know, other media, uh, and they basically gave the book uh, guideline to uh, the Muslim elite, which is they have an agreement is into okay, this is how you survive and advance your agenda in the West by using political correctness uh, and silence any opposition and, and, and take away uh, freedom of uh, speech. Uh, and in this case, freedom of religion as well. And through the decades, they succeeded in Europe. Uh, initially, uh, uh, has one. When Muslims come to a country, when they are weak, they use uh, Islamic verses, the Mecca revelation verses, like we have Old Testament, New Testament. They have the Mecca and Medina revelation, the Mecca, the early ones. And they were peaceful verses. So they use that when they go into a country when they are weak. Uh, and in the meantime, they continue to get more and more rights, more and more equality in their minds. And of course, the, the host country. So yeah, more than happy to do that because we don't want to be looked at as bigots mm -hmm. and so forth and racist. Right. And uh, in the meantime, they continue to have children. And uh, once they get to a point or uh, number of population, that's when they start implementing the latter revelation, the Medina revelation, which uh, uh, they start doing a lot of demands. I got to do this. I got to have a mosque. Uh, we're going to need to have Sharia law courts. We don't like the courts in the country. And uh, the host country like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. To give an example, in, in England, I lived in England for seven years because, before coming to America. In England now, they have, last I checked, about 82 Sharia law courts. Wow. That is not uh, under the rule of the judicial system, and the judicial system are okay with it in England. Uh, so there are some uh, sections in uh, Europe, including in Paris and in Belgium, it's a no-go zone in Sweden. So they got to a level of population. Now uh, it's an enclave. Nobody, you go to uh, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul. Now uh, they call it legal, Little Mogadishu. Wow. And just recently, within the last couple of months, now they have, uh, for the first time in the United States, uh, a mosque with a loudspeakers um, uh, sound be called to prayer in, in the United States publicly. So we start seeing that. Now, Europe has been a success as far as Islam, and that's with the blessing of the deep state, because ultimately the deep state, uh, or when I mean deep state, the elite of global elite, they want Islam sooner or later, they want them to submit to the ultimate goal, which is the, the Great Reset. 
And if they don't, they use nuclear weapons and kill most of the Muslims anyway, because they don't care about human life anyway. Wow, that... So because you look, you're looking at the elite are satanic, so they have no no allegiance in it to anything. That is just incredibly disturbing. I read an article on Gatestone Institute just yesterday, I think it came out, uh, uh, about Europe, violence against women, enslaving women, assaulting right. them sexually, uh, and they're, they're claiming it's a right. So now I'm listening to you talk about how they reach a certain population level and all of a sudden they're claiming more rights and more things. I mean, right. the, uh, that was a very disturbing. I could hardly get through that article because uh, these are young, these are in some cases girls. And the West, talk about a clash of worldviews. The West yep. and Islam, how there, there's no way this is a recipe there for violence. There is no violence. assimilation. No, there uh, is not. I mean, yeah, and Muslims will refuse to assimilate because uh, that's their religion. That's how it is. Um, now, when you go to what we've seen now, um, you know, I was in South America and Ecuador, uh, did pastors' conferences and so forth, and I'm still seeing Islam expanding in infancy. When I shared that with the pastors, they kind of uh, laughed at me. They said, well, but this is Ecuador. When somebody comes to Ecuador, they need to be Ecuadorians. I said, you don't get it. And I showed them a video that Muslim uh, missionaries go to Ecuadorian villages and convert the whole village to a Muslim uh, village. And they were stunned. Uh, So we've seen that in South America. Now uh, it's expanding also in Asia, like like you said, in Taiwan and uh, uh, South Korea. Japan, Japan uh-huh. um, uh, number of uh, last uh, what's it uh, before uh, COVID, I was invited to co- to go to Korea and do teaching, but uh, that kind of uh, conflicted with my trip to Indonesia, so I could not go. But they are struggling with that because they're coming over there, they go to schools and they marry, uh, you know, Korean women and convert them to Islam, which is exactly what they've done in Europe, what they've done in Canada, and what they've done here in the, in America. So uh, it's expanding now. Demographically, the West, um, and unfortunately, the church have bought into what the culture says that you don't need to have many children. It's a burden. You know, maybe one, uh, one or two at the most. That was a perfect number, a perfect, uh, you know, family unit. You don't need more children. That's a burden. But unfortunately, that's at the detriment of the Western culture um, to replace itself, a population to replace itself. Uh, I've seen a video, an old video um, about demographics. And to give an example for uh, any culture to survive, it needs about 2.11 in um, childbirth to replace itself. For a culture, if it has 1.6, it takes 100 years to correct itself. Europe right now is at 1.1. That means they're done. They're, They're not replacing themselves. Yeah. Uh, Spain and Greece are the worst two countries out of all of Europe as far as birth rate. The birth rate of Muslims in Europe is 8.1. So that gives you an idea. Yeah, yeah. In the United States, like I said, remember, the, the magic number is 2.11. We're at uh, 1.6, but with the Latino influx and all the refu- uh, the illegal migrants are coming here, we are at the bare minimum of 2.11. The childbirth of Muslims in America is 8.1 as well. So how does that work, 8.1? Is that just from one woman? Not necessarily, because mm-hmm. polygamy, that's uh, uh, part of their Islamic heritage or uh, teaching. So uh, here in America, right. 
in any community, if there is a Muslim community, you got a Muslim who will marry an American woman, convert her to Islam, and they have children. That's as far as the court is concerned, and the local, uh, he's married, and they have the benefits. But then he marries another woman in the mosque, not necessarily in the courts, so it's, it's not uh, paperwork, but uh, they, you know, they have children, and as far as everybody else, all they living together, they kind of cohabitants, and so on and so forth. So, uh, for example, there was one guy. There's a documentary you can look at it on YouTube. A Muslim man in, in Sydney, Australia. He had 52 children because he had about four four women, four wives. One of them acknowledged by the government. The other three married in the mosque. So, when you see that happening, and you have the population get to a level. Uh, of demand, that watch out because the latter revelation, which has got 149 verses of jihad uh, in the Quran, it will be implemented. Whether you like it or not, that's going to happen in those cultures. Wow. Now, go back into why we are not seeing many attacks uh, since COVID. Or actually, let's go back yeah. since uh, President Trump became a president. Okay, mm -hmm. because they were not sponsored by the deep state. You need to understand there is an unholy alliance between Islam and the glo uh, globalists. Uh, Islam is basically doing the bidding of the globalists. Mm. Where do you think ISIS came from? Where do you think Al Qaeda came yeah, from? Right, right. Okay, so we have not seen these major attacks of Muslims. If you remember before, uh, before uh, Trump became president in 2016, it's like almost every month there is uh, an attack by an Islamic terrorist. We have not seen that kind of uh, attacks lately. COVID came along, and even now we have not seen that uh, kind of attacks. Now the attacks, the terrorism that we are seeing from the leftists, uh, from the transgender, from uh, you know crazy people, whatever it is. <laughs> so that's what is happening here today. Uh, that doesn't mean they're not advancing their agenda and having more kids. Right. It's just right now they're at the beck and call of the elite to be mobilized. Well, I, and wasn't Al-Qaeda created by the U.S. for Afghanistan? Yeah, by the CIA. Yeah, by the CIA for Afghanistan. Now, my understanding is so that is ISIS. ISIS is kind of swallowing up the Taliban. My understanding is almost non-existent anymore in Al-Qaeda. They're all being swallowed up by ISIS. Currently, there are 10,000 ISIS fighters in detention camps in Syria. What could possibly go wrong there? Is it true that Al-Qaeda and the Taliban are, are have been eclipsed by ISIS? Well, uh, I don't know how to give you an illustration. It's like um, uh, Al-Qaeda is, uh, uh, what do you call it, Pepsi-Lite uh, Pepsi and... Uh, <laughs> ISIS is Pepsi, <laughs> strong Pepsi. I, my, my illustration is horrible on this. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm saying is uh, ISIS is based, look, they're all drinking from the same well, whether it be ISIS, Hezbollah, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, they all drinking from the same source, Al-Quran and Muhammad's life. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. So it's just a matter of how do you implement that? Actually, ISIS, when they came along, Al-Qaeda had a meeting with us and look, we know what you're doing. We agree with it, but you're doing it too fast and you bring a lot of attention to this and we're going to get hammered. Uh, ISIS says, no, you're going too slow. We're going to do what we're going to do because look, we already took most of Syria, most of Iraq. So uh, that's the kind of the struggle between them. It has nothing to do with, okay, uh, this is one separate group, sure. another separate group. Uh, you know, they are in prison. Okay. Who's in charge of it? Uh, what kind of guarantee? Then they're going to be released. Right. Uh, I mean, we had Obama release some guys from Guantanamo Bay 
after they released, they went back to the field and start killing Americans with Taliban. So it, it really makes a difference how you deal with that. Mm. Um, unfortunately, uh, force is the only uh, language they hear as far as the fighters. But we have to reach the, the heart of the average Muslim who could care less about all this stuff. Yeah, and just said, well, okay, we want a Muslim nation, but they care about how I'm going to feed my family, how I'm going to take care of, uh, you know, my shop or my business or whatever it is. How you know, trying to stay out of trouble. They've seen so much ugly stuff. That's why many when ISIS came along, many Muslims became atheists, did not want to have anything to do with religion, but a lot of them came to know the came to know the Lord because they know there is a God, but they did not appreciate their God that killed their husband in front of them or their wife or they ate their children in front of them by other Muslims. Wow. So it's, we cannot judge all Muslims like, oh, they're all bad. We have to look at, okay, Lord, you brought a Muslim in my path. I'm going to be the light in his life. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share the love of God with them and talk to them about the Lord. Whether they accept or not, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be faithful and telling people about the Lord. That's right. all you have to look at it that way. Right. And God is bigger than all of that wickedness. But I'm, I'm still thinking about what you're saying about Islam being just another tool in the tool shed of the globalists. I had never thought of it quite that way. Yeah. Um, but that's that's actually quite chilling that they're just a, a tool for the globalists to continue to do what they do. I don't think we understand the wickedness uh, because it's not here or, you know, we don't see it necessarily, even though we read what the globalists well, are saying. But, to us. Yeah, it's yeah. To us. And it's yeah. here. Well, it's in the States. It just takes right. different forms and it's, it's sort right. of a slow collapse. And but, don't be mistaken. I mean, the open border and the southern border right mm-hmm. now, that is not just South Americans. So you have mm-hmm. to keep that in mind. Mm hmm. You know, the, the beheading that the, uh, you know, the uh, cartels are doing, where did they learn that from? That has been going on for at least 15, 20 years by Hezbollah and Hamas built camps in, South, in, in Mexico teaching these guys how to do this stuff. Well, and my understanding of Africa, too, which seems to have been just swallowed up by jihadism and jihadists. Right. Uh, right. Um, my understanding is the most incidents of Islamic terrorism are in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. It's sort of the center of gravity for jihadist terrorism. And then, of course, against the persecution against Christians at the same time is ramped up. Um, Any more that we can understand about Africa? How can we pray more for the believers? There are millions and millions of believers in Africa that are under persecution every single day. Yeah, Africa and India uh, Mm. and the persecution of the church, you have to look at it from the big picture, not only from one segment or one religion, like whether it be just from Muslims. Uh, The the persecution of the church right now for Muslims or Islam in this case. uh, And I have to separate Islam from Muslims. uh, Sorry about that, because Islam is the ideology. Muslims are the people. Jesus did not die for an ideology. He died for the person, Correct. for the people. Yes. So we, we as Christians should not put Islam and Muslims all in one because that creates hatred in our hearts. So I don't like Islam. I love Muslims. Mm-hmm. And we have to keep that in mind. Yeah, thank you for that but clarification. Also, yeah, but also you got Christians uh, persecuted by the Hindus in northern India. I've been to India three times in northern India, and I've seen it with my own eyes, and I listen to their testimonies when they're going through um, we've seen, and as you know, in China, uh, this not necessarily Muslims, it's just secular uh, communist uh, rule. So the, you have to understand where the light of the world. We live in a dark and wicked world. Darkness hates the light, no matter where it's at. And, and that's why I think in American churches and uh, Christians, we hear persecution, but we're really not interested to listen and really hear what is happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
so we the more we hear about it, uh, the more uh, God put it in our heart to pray for them and intercede for them and help whenever we can. And I think that's where the role of the pastors of churches to be the advocate uh, for these persecuted uh, Christians around the world is uh, to mobilize the prayer power of the believers in America uh, to help and intercede for the uh, persecuted Christians. And uh, that's what I'm, I'm doing whenever I get invited in American church. I tell this story. I am an advocate for the persecuted uh, believers and pastors that I have trained. I fellowship with, I minister to, I cried with, uh, because it's it's a heartbreaker. But even with in the midst of heart, their heartache and the persecution, it's amazing faith that they have in the Lord and the joy that they have. Mm. And I'm jealous of that. It's like, my <laughs> goodness, in the middle of that, you, you still have that incredible joy. Why? Because they understood the biblical teaching. They might kill the body, but they cannot destroy the soul. They know they belong to the Lord. Yeah, the theology is a little bit messed up about certain things, but that fundamental teaching, they got it to heart because they got nothing and nobody but Jesus. Mm-hmm. American Christianity has everything except Jesus. Right, right. Well put. And I understand from Open Doors, I was on their website yesterday, there are 360 million believers under the threat of persecution in the world today. Right. And that's uh, even a little more than the population of the entire United States of America. Right. That's a lot of the church. And um, like you were saying, you know, they have that joy and that great God's grace is all over them um, because they're seeking him and him alone. And and persecution, you know, it prunes the church, right? I mean, it, it can it oh, certainly... Yeah. Uh, you know, judgment begins with the house of God, but but it also does a lot of pruning. Um, I think right. the American church needs that. Yeah, it, it's really, it's a it's an incredible encouragement and conviction for me uh, when I witness such faith, because it really reflects, okay, am I, am I that faithful? If mm-hmm. I go through persecution, do I, am I going to stand firm like these brothers and sisters? Mm-hmm. Um, I had my share of persecution. I had death threats in my life and my family life. I had to evacuate my family twice uh, because of death threats here in America, (laughs) not somewhere else here in America. And the Lord gave me grace at that moment uh, to handle whatever comes my way. And that's interesting. Sometimes people ask me, okay, you came from Muslim background. How about if you go to a country, get arrested, and if they said, if you don't convert back to Islam, they'll kill you. What would you do? What would you say? <laughs> I said, I'm not worried about that. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't you? I said, look, I have to take Jesus, what he said in Matthew chapter 10. It's amazing. He said, when, not if, when the delivery to the courts and the Sanhedrins as a testimony for me, do not worry about what you say, because it will be given to you in that hour. Remember, in that hour, not before, not after. In that hour, what you're about to say, because it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Mm-hmm. What yeah. an amazing promise. Yeah, it really is. And Mary, I'm telling you, I had so many events, so many situations where I did not know what to say on how to behave until at that moment, the Holy Spirit gave me exactly what I need to say, exactly how to conduct myself. And I thank the Lord for each of these uh, moments because I know God is with me mm-hmm. and he gives me uh, the guidance and the uh, the wisdom and the opportunity to be his testimony. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And you've seen his faithfulness and you never, ever, ever forget that. I've had conversations with people 
uh, here in the States about, well, what would you do? Are they going to come for you? Are they going to take everything you have? And sometimes I think we do worry a bit ahead of time what we're going to say, what we're going to do, all the things that we're going to lose. Um, But that should not be what we're thinking. We should just expect God's faithfulness at that moment. And uh, what encouragement to hear you say uh, that sort of thing. We we don't have a lot of time left, Elijah. It's just been a real joy to to speak with you. Um, Just a real quick question. This is sort of out of the blue. Iran, the nukes, um, a deal with the U.S. Uh, There's a lot of violence in Iran against their own people. We need to pray for Iranian believers. But uh, do they have nukes? I mean, are are we uh, is that going to be because they say they can hit Israel in 400 seconds? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, one thing for sure about uh, the church uh, among Muslims or in Muslim countries, the Iranian church is the fastest growing church in Muslim countries, well, in the whole Muslim mm, world. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm. and that's a given. How did that happen? Because of persecution. Mm. Okay, so yeah. when there is heat and there is persecution, the church will grow. And in spite of uh, they made Ahmadinejad back in 2015 made Christianity illegal the church continued to grow. Um, so yes, we need to pray for the church. Yes. God is still uh, using the church in spite of the evil in that country. Uh, the Iranian people are victims of their regime, just like every country that have a tyrannical um, regime, including our own country. <laughs> Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we have tyranny going on in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, we are victims of them. Um, so we need to pray for the Iranian people and that God will have mercy on Iran, Iraq, Syria, Jordan. All these yes. regions is just being devastated yes. for the last, what, 100, 200 years, if not more. Mm-hmm. So we're praying that God will, will just shine his light. And he is, but he's doing it to, not my way or your way, it's his way. Right. And many people come to know Christ. I am a byproduct of that devastation of that region because I had my father had to smuggle me out of the country as a refugee, lived in Europe for seven years, came to America, and that's how I got saved. And now use, God using me around the world that's with amazing. over 100,000 pastors trained. Wow. Oh, so, Elijah Abraham, thank you so much. We just appreciate your insights. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Thank you amen. so much for today. Um, remember to visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Let's uh, sign up for our weekly podcast digest via your email inbox. On the top menu bar, click the subscribe link, enter your first name and email address. Feedback is also encouraged at comments at standupforthetruth.com. We so appreciate all of our listeners. There's a lot of archives. If you haven't heard um, the latest podcast, please uh, go to standupforthetruth.com. Don Stewart on Friday. David's back on Monday with a headline show. David and myself, Tuesday headlines. Kevin Minsky replay on Wednesday and so much more to come. This is Mary Danielson. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter.